0: Find your mob, find your group of people that mm. you know will actually help you through the process. Like find those people, um, if they're mentors, um, that will actually remind you of who you are remind you of your talents. And um, find people sideways as well, people at the same level of your career who will actually support you and help you.
1: Mm. Welcome back to hpg engage the podcast it is my pleasure today to introduce to you professor manuela ferreira how are you today
0: i'm very well
1: thank you um first of all thank you very much professor for coming on and speaking to us today um professor manuela is a professor of musculoskeletal health and um, here at the Collin institute and the work that she's been doing here has been absolutely amazing and groundbreaking in the area of chronic back pain Um, So, first of all, Professor, we just want to have a quick chat with you and kind of bring us back to the start, where this all began. And I guess we can go back to what you studied at university and kind of why you studied um, those disciplines.
0: Okay. So, I'm a physiotherapist. So, I went to university in Brazil, where I was born, um, and I studied physiotherapy. Why did I choose physiotherapy? I've always wanted to work in health. It was always my intention Um, and I didn't really want to be a medical doctor and um, I, I was a ballet dancer for probably about 12 years and I, I've always watched um, the physios treating the ballet dancers and that was something that really attracted me. So it was basically because I wanted to treat ballet dancers, never did. <laughs> never the intention tried. was there, the intention <laughs> was there. It, it was there. Um, I When I um, started physio at university, I was also doing ballet college um, and I soon realized that it was, it was going to be too hard to do both and um, ballet is really, really competitive. So then I decided to go to research. <laughs> <laughs> I feel
1: like research is also very competitive it's as a well. a lot more competitive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny.
0: Yeah, so I don't know why why I did that. But anyway, um, so I'm a physiotherapist. Um, that's my background and that's probably why I chose it because I wanted to work with movement and yeah. um, it seemed perfect.
1: Awesome, and what were the actual, so after you did physiotherapy, that was an undergrad degree, right. yeah. and then what, did, what was after that?
0: So after that, I did my first masters, which was in sports physiotherapy. Um, so I decided, okay, I'm not gonna treat ballet dancers, but maybe athletes. Never, mm-hmm. tri- never treated it out. <laughs> <laughs> but that was my first um, master's and then I really got hooked into research. So I decided to do my master's in science mm-hmm. and that was in cell biology. So I was working with um, in basic research with animal um, studies. Yeah, I did that for two years and then I got a, a scholarship to come to Australia and do my PhD. That was right after I finished my master's in December um 2000 and i started my phd in um january 2001 so it was Jeez. it was very from um, one extreme to the other yes exactly and um, clinical research yeah. so i decided that i wanted to work with people this time
1: ah okay so what made you choose just going back to the masters in cell biology what made you choose cell biology in in animals like what what about that was kind of enticing for you
0: um, it was more about the science. It okay. was a very strong program at the university um, where I got, I got a scholarship to do yeah. that. So it was a very strong program um, and I was really into the science. Um, but I soon realized that, um, I'll be honest, I didn't enjoy um, sacrificing animals. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. That's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I wanted to do um, some more clinical research. Yeah, um, for sure. And then I decided to come to Australia.
1: And what about australia was the the drawn aspect was it the the kind of level of education you'd receive here? Was it one of the best in the world or was it kind of oh I'll apply for a few different scholarships and whichever one comes back was Sydney or in Australia very much the one that you wanted to go for
0: yeah australia definitely i um I looked at different universities sydney um South Australia, and Western Australia um it was just because in in the field that i was interested in and that was back pain research it is still the top of the the top researchers are here in the world yeah so i was really really attracted to the programs here um and of all of them sydney was the one that really attracted me the most so i decided to come to sydney i got a a scholarship in brazil and came in january 2001.
1: awesome and why do you think um all the top researchers in this area are based in Australia do you think what is it
0: it's a good question um, I think it was maybe um, some years ago maybe some decades ago the way that um, researchers here really rev- revolutionized um, the treatment of back pain yeah and the way they looked at um, musculoskeletal conditions, especially back pain was very different to the rest of the world yeah and um, that Plus, um, some very very smart people who are still here, yeah, um, for sure, and and very successful people. Um, I think that's a, that was a perfect combination.
1: Awesome. And then let's go into the into your research of back pain. What what about this area was the driving force for you to specialize in? Why why this area? Did you see there was a need for the research within society? And mm-hmm. um, obviously. Chronic back pain is very much an issue all across the world. But what are, what about this area? Was like, oh, I need to do. I need to do the work in this part of yeah. the part of the research it, industry.
0: It started because um, I just found it very interesting. It, you know, if you look at the biomechanics of the of the spine, it's it's really fascinating. Um, you know, a lot of bones and how the muscles and the bones and the joints um, all work together. So it was fascinating. This is how it started. There was probably um a little bit of a personal um story as well so my father had back pain his whole life and yeah. then I I um saw him suffer with back pain which probably made me want to find a a way of helping people with back yeah, pain yeah for sure um but nowadays um, back pain is actually the the number one cause of disability in the world is one of the you know the the most prevalent um, conditions in the world and we really need to do something about it. We haven't been able to um, um, too much so far. So, so that's why I stayed in the field yeah. because there is still a lot to be done and um, I'm very much looking forward to um, doing something about it.
1: That's good that that's so true because, I have so many friends who always are complaining about having a sore back, but I think a lot of times it becomes such a constant pain over an elongated period of time that people just learn to live with the pain. It's like, oh, this is just how it's gonna be now. And they don't really look to seek help because when it becomes so chronic and it's just always there, people don't really see that pain as something that they need to go after and check out. If it's your heart, people are like I need to check on my heart right now. But for some strange reason, when it comes to a sore lower back, where your spine is the the part of your the part of the bone that keeps you moving, people don't seem to take that as seriously. Mm. Why do you think that is?
0: That's the thing, right? I think people need to get better information so not everyone needs to see a doctor if they have back pain yeah but they need to know when they need to see a doctor and they need to know that it's okay to keep moving which is another big problem with musculoskeletal conditions in general but especially with back pain a lot of people um see pain and and pain intensity being the same as um, injury. So if, if there is a lot of pain, don't move, you know, just um, stay in bed and, and, and it's gonna go away. Yeah. But it's actually the opposite. So the longer you stay inactive, the worst. The worse you get. Um so I think uh, I think we have a lot of misinformation about back pain. You touched on a very um, interesting point. So cardiovascular disease, for example, if people have um, a heart condition, there are some signs that will tell them, and this is very well known now. So Mm -hmm. everyone knows and, and, you know, researchers and clinicians are very good at actually um, communicating that to patients. So so if you have these certain signs, go see a doctor. Um, But... Please know that you have to take care of your, yourself and your lifestyle for the rest of your life. 100%. So, you, you know, you have to watch a diet. You have to, to um, use the medication that you've been prescribed and you have to exercise. We haven't got to that point with back pain yet. Yeah. So it's really, if it hurts, we'll stop. Stop, stop moving. And, yeah. and that's not good for you.
1: That's so true. We actually did a podcast a couple of years ago, for the first round of the COVID um, situation and with a the musculoskeletal therapist and he talked about how a lot of people will come to him with a pain in their back or a pain in the part of their body. And obviously the patient's first thought is, I need this fixed, but he always sits back and, and speaks to them. Okay, I to him about your life. Are you having financial issues? Have you got family issues? Or you, have you been fighting with your, your partner for a long period of time? Because he said what he finds is when you begin to look at someone from a holistic point of view, and you learn to understand different parts of their life that can have then a knock on effect in how their body for example if you're if you're struggling in in a financial aspect of your life for a long period of time you're going to be tense your body's going to be tense and then that's just going to flow down and and then cause some sort of back pain obviously there's a bit of him obviously having to do physical work on them but he says a large part of it is also trying to Help them figure out what their day to their life is. That could potentially be a knock-on effect Correct. on that. Would you Would you find like that is an important part when it comes to your research? We need to figure out what people are doing day to day, and to actually maybe even cause these back pains.
0: Um. Absolutely. So, so we know that um, your psychological status will influence on your progression or back pain progression. Sure. So whether you're going to get better sooner or later or even how much pain you perceive. Um, not necessarily a cause, but definitely it does interfere um, yeah. in how you perceive your, your pain. And not only that, um, we know as well that sleep, for example, if you don't sleep well, you're more likely to um, perceive your back pain to to notice that you have pain in your back and the other way around the more pain in the back that you have the less well asleep asleep. yeah Yeah. (laughs) just like a constant circle exactly so all of that so if um if a clinician can actually break that cycle um somehow that that would be really useful
1: and what would you suggest to someone to do on a day-to-day basis in order to ensure that they may be decreased their likelihood of developing chronic back pain, Some, someone that maybe doesn't know anything about this, what would you suggest to them?
0: The one thing that we know that works is exercise. Yeah. That's it, physical activity. And by physical activity, I don't mean that you have to run 30 minutes every day. So there are the guidelines and the, the um, specify how much exercise you need for your general health. Yeah. Um, but you do need to exercise go for a walk. Um, you know, standing or sitting for too long or lying for too long, staying in the same position for too long, that's not good for your general health and that's not good for your spine. So exercise um, light moderate or intense but do exercise
1: 100 percent, and i I find a lot of more corporate companies where they have people in nine to five are now trying to almost motivate people to become more active to i know a lot of offices now are implementing stand-up desks something as simple as that or even i have a few friends who working companies where they do weekend step competitions so whoever gets the most steps over a weekend they get I don't know a hundred dollar a hundred dollar gift voucher or something like that I had a friend who walked I think 20,000 miles or 20,000 steps sorry one weekend just because he's a competitive person he's like I want to get this so even something as simple as that is just has a very very positive knock-on effect for the future of of healthcare and the future of chronic back pain
0: absolutely and um i know a few people like that (laughs) (laughs) um and and, you know it's all about um walking the walk right yeah for sure literally walking the walk so i i know people i work with people who will actually have um, walking meetings for example if you have a meeting why not go for a walk um while you're having that meeting Um, i usually try to um, for example, if I have to um, print something um, to, go to, a, to, to go for a walk or to, if I can um, print or use a printer that is further away from me. Yeah, so you'd go um, to that one instead. Yeah. That's a good idea. Park my car further away from the office so I can do a little bit of walk on, you know, on the way to the office and yeah. on the way from the office. So those little things can actually um, improve your general health as yeah. well.
1: Um, I just want to take it back slightly. um, In terms of your transition into the position that you're in now, you obviously left Brazil, moved here to study, and then now you're working in the Institute as a research fellow. How how did that happen? Did you have, yeah, what was the process with that in terms of actually getting your foot in the door? Because obviously, as we've we've touched on earlier, this is way more competitive than ballet. So how how did you end up um, end up right here in front of me?
0: Um, That's a very good question with um, (laughs) sweat and tears, (laughs) lots of tears. Um, So I I came and I did my PhD, then I went back to Brazil and I had a teaching position at a university in Brazil. Um, Some years later there was a postdoc or a research position um, here at Sydney University and I applied for it and I got it and I decided to come. Um, So I came with my family um and from then i went um to different positions or different fellowships which is how the um um the researchers are paid. yeah yeah yeah. so i've had um different fellowships for the past 15 years um and i've been very very blessed to have been supported um by different organizations the government at the moment my salary comes from mostly from the government yeah Um, But it is a very, very um, competitive process. Um, And just to give you an idea, for for me to get my second fellowship, so my first one I I got when I was in Brazil and I moved. But my second one, I got it when, um, at the fourth time. So I tried four times before I could get a fellowship. And this is, is it was, it was really hard. The
1: four times is over what period of time? How many times?
0: It was over five years. Um, yep five years because it's once a year so nice. I, and, and during that time I had people um, you know a, a research grant here so I would work on that grant and, yeah and that money would support my salary and um, but it was it was really really tough it it's was almost
1: like a tough. constant fight
0: it's because you're obviously constant fight.
1: all every anyone that's doing research in Australia you're obviously all if it's from the government you're all taken from the same pool of money so it's
0: it's really competitive so yeah. we know for example that the success rate now is about eight percent which is um for, for government fund fellowships yeah which is not ideal um it is um lower for women which again is not ideal interesting
1: yeah. why, why do you think that is
0: for a number of reasons um <clears throat> we talk a lot about um um gender bias so, so there is a, a bias when you are and it's it's um it's not something done on purpose you know it's a so subconscious it, yeah it is subconscious, subconscious bias. yeah yeah so when when people are reviewing grants that come from women and come from men, women tend to um, apply less, for example, uh, or submit less applications as a, um, the main investigator. Yeah, for a number of reasons because of how we perceive ourselves so do you uh, think
1: that's that's an interesting point you just made as the main investigator so do you think there are probably a lot of women that would maybe if they're partnering with a man on a research that they would put the the male as the main investigator because there is a likelihood that they'll probably get accepted
0: um i'm not sure it would be again so evident so you go first because i think you're a man and it's easier for me um for you to to get it funded, but there are a lot more women who would not have that same position as the okay. men, as the as the um, uh, lab head, for yeah. example or the supervisor or so because when we get to that point, when women get to that point, a lot of women will have given up and changed their okay. years. so it, there are less women at that very senior cause um, it's
1: almost like a constant uphill battle exactly they
0: call it the, the um um the bottleneck the bottleneck ah, okay. effect yeah. yeah
1: yeah oh okay
0: so it is um it's not interesting <laughs> <laughs> it's really sad and we've been trying to, yeah we've been trying to change it um do you think the, it's yeah.
1: gotten better since you you first started i think in it's this gotten area? better
0: but it's still very very far away from being where it should good. be yeah yeah, yeah. But it's it's gotten better. Um, again, women stop their careers, They interrupt their careers when they um, have, have kids, kids for example. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, the research career is just one of those things that if you stop, it's really hard to, to catch up again. again. Yeah. So so sometimes you can claim that I I didn't work for one or two years or or I worked part time for one or two years because of um, family. Yeah but it's still very, very hard to compete with people who have never stopped and uh, you know have a lot more publications or can travel. I couldn't yeah. travel overseas. Because for... I guess a lot of
1: it's networking as well and getting in front of people face to face.
0: Absolutely, um, and, and going to conferences is a, a big opportunity for you to network with yeah, people sure. from overseas. And if you can't travel because of kids or if you choose not to travel, and I chose not to travel for a period of time because of my kids, Yeah. It really has an impact on you, so um, so there. You ask me why? There are a number of reasons, um, and there are a lot of people doing very good research around that.
1: Interesting. Okay, um, so let's um touch on some surgical trials. Yeah. That you've been doing. You mentioned to me about the placebo trial that you. You guys have done. Can you just talk to me about that? Because I find it so interesting when you first told me.
0: Yeah, not a problem. So um, one of the um, studies, the trials that we are doing at the moment, it's it's a placebo-controlled trial of surgery. So what we are doing is, um, there is one type of surgery they they call it surgical decompression. So that's when they remove part of the bone in the back because um, we believe that when um, the the nerves are being compressed, smashed, um, they, they, that's when people have pain. So if you actually remove that part of the bone, then it releases the, the nerves and then um, the pain. Um, so this is something that, um, this type of surgery has been done for a very, very long time. Um, but the problem is with, usually with surgery and um, invasive procedures, there is a strong placebo effect. And um, and that had never been tested for this one type of procedure. So it had been tested for other types of surgery, um, shoulder surgery, knee surgery, but not for back pain or not for back surgery. So um, we are currently conducting the SUCCESS trial, which is um, a placebo controlled trial of um, decompression, surgical decompression for people with spinal stenosis, which is one type of back pain. And um, what we do is patients are um, randomly allocated to either having the surgery where the bone is removed or having a surgery where the bone is not removed, which is what we call the placebo surgery. Um, And the answer in the end is going to be whether surgery works or um, has an effect that goes beyond um, placebo or or not.
1: That's so interesting because you mentioned that you they literally have them on the table they cut them open and then they just close them back up again.
0: Correct yeah. so um, Do they,
1: are they on the on the table for a certain length of time and um, so obviously if you're re- actually removing the bone I don't know how long the surgery would be I don't know a few hours so the person who's the placebo aspect are they on the the table for those three hours just opened and um, then so the body's kind of under that opened like stress on the general anesthetic and stuff like that or it, how does that work
0: not that as dramatic <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thinking <great> as uh-huh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's usually about half an hour the whole procedure okay. it's it's not a very long procedure um and when they get to the point where they would remove the bone they get an answer or a call saying yes or no um and then if it's a no they will just finish oh, so the they're, procedure they're
1: actually not told they're not told until before. they actually get into exactly. the yeah Okay. So, that really
0: minimizes the risk. And, um, and and that's the thing with placebo surgery, right? A lot of people think that because it's placebo, it's associated with more risk. Yeah. But there is plenty of research showing that it's the other way around. So, um, placebo is actually associated with less common and sometimes even less severe um, risks and adverse events than the whole procedure. Yeah. Because, for example, um, um, and, and again, the adverse events and the complications with this type of surgery are really. Minimum, but um, some of them are associated with the fact that you remove the bone, so that doesn't happen in the placebo yeah. surgery. So, so the um, and, and again, for you to get something like this approved by ethics, you really need to make sure that the risks are not greater. You're not going to put people at a greater risk yeah. of, um, you know, complication, just because of science. So, um, so all of that needs to be really clear to the patient, to the clinician, to the researchers, and to the ethics committee. So um, again, it's not as dramatic. <laughs> they, they are, but they are there for not the same they are. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but they are there for the same amount of time. Yeah. Um and they receive exactly the same care before and after. Exactly the same.
1: And then obviously based on that you then can make your, your analysis Correct. And, on the overall. Um let's go and we kinda touched on this already in terms of the difficulty in some of the roadblocks basically when it comes to research because obviously a lot of people don't realize that research needs to be funded and money needs to be given and um, because it's it's a very expensive process you're having to pay yourself your I guess you're some of your PhD students you have to pay for materials and all that sort of stuff so obviously you're here at the Colin Institute um, and also here at North Shore there's obviously the North Foundation can you talk to me a little bit about the importance of the North Foundation donations and philanthropy in terms of ensuring that all this continues to, to grow.
0: Absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, researchers um, live on salaries that are provided by a uh, research institute, um, research foundation or the government. So, so the salaries need to come from someone else. So um, th- there are very, very few Um, research jobs that you apply. For example, the university will cover all of the costs for someone to do research only. Um, So, so you need to find, usually you need to find research funding um, or salary um, funding for yourself as a researcher. Besides that, you need funding to cover your staff and you need funding to cover the costs of your research. So, it's um, that's why it's so difficult and that's why it's so competitive and again if you think of all of the um, um, extra barriers that women face mm-hmm. um, it is even harder yeah so, for sure. uh, it's what they call about they talk about the glass ceiling and um, women usually have to work three times harder to get to the same um to the same level. stage same level so um uh, um Foundations like the the North Foundation, for example, um, are absolutely essential because, um, you know, with especially with everything else going on in the world, research funding is not very. Um, it's becoming rare, and you know, it's it's becoming really scarce. So it it is really important to have um, the North Foundation and philanthropy and donors really supporting research. We we need support from people. We cannot rely on government funding yeah. only. We need support from um from other um sources as well. Otherwise Things I'm not sure what's apart. gonna Yeah, I don't I'm not sure what's gonna happen to us. What's um, what's, um,
1: what's normally the process whenever you are attempting to gain donations from from a philanthropic point of view. So or do um, you have to put documentation together? Um, do you have to organize your own meetings to meet with these people face-to-face? Obviously, you talked about conferences as well. What's what's that process yeah. like?
0: So in terms of um, philanthropy, you usually work with a foundation um, like North Foundation. Um, Sydney University, they also have a, um, a foundation. So you usually work with a foundation and um, they can either um, help you organize those meetings in um, donating um you know, funding to a certain, either a certain specific project or a cause or a theme. So it, it's usually coordinated by foundations like such like such as the North Foundation. And, and again, that's why it's so important to have them.
1: That's amazing. Um, let's go into the future of healthcare and the future of your research. What are some of your hopes um, for what you think what you're doing is gonna do to society and affect society?
0: So my hope for my research is to continue um, doing the, the trials that I'm doing at the moment, um, more and better and larger trials that will actually identify what works and what doesn't work for back pain. Once we know a little bit more, my goal is to actually ensure that patients are getting what works and are not getting what doesn't work. Yeah. So, so that's my goal for my... Um, my research the future of healthcare um, i think what we've seen with covid um, is really you know healthcare um, um, professionals are really tired they're they're exhausted it's been really really the burden has been really really um, heavy on them but i think it has also built um, resilience not only on the professionals but also on the healthcare system i think we have been identifying a lot of the gaps and where the gaps are yeah for sure this is what the pen you know pandemics do um so i think the future is looking good it, it's bright i will refuse to say anything <laughs> <now>. <laughs> positive mindset <laughs> i like I it goes a long optimistic, way optimistic yeah um we, we have a you know we still need to do a lot of work um, to get where we want to. But I, I do think it's um, looking bright. And um, for example, here at the Colin Institute, because we are so, again, blessed to be working side by side with clinicians. I think that's the solution moving forward for as sure. well. You know, researchers and clinicians working Living together. together. Um, where where are the gaps in knowledge? Where are the gaps in practice? How do we solve this together? And then moving forward.
1: Amazing. And do you think there's maybe, um, an onus to be also be put on just general public in terms of the education behind just overall health as well because that's obviously going to be going to be a massive help in terms of the amount of people suffering from chronic pain.
0: Absolutely we we need to do a better job of communicating with patients and with not only with patients but the general community about what works and what doesn't work and and that's a big challenge because we we um. You know, it, it's hard sometimes to um, um, compete. I would say compete with big pharma or yeah. with beliefs that have come from, you know,
1: years a, and years yeah, of yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so of it how is, things are done.
0: Exactly. So, it, it's not an easy job, but we definitely need to do that. It, it's the three need to work together, right? The four: so policymakers, clinicians, um, patients, and researchers. If we don't work together if we don't sit around the table and decide what we're going to do about this again in back pain. How are we going to um, move away from what doesn't work and how are we going to move towards what works? Um, if we don't do it together, then it's
1: going to be harder. For sure. Thank you very, very much, Professor Manuela. Um, but f- before we go, one last question. Um, obviously, with HPG Engage, the podcast, it's in conjunction with the company which is called HPG. We're a healthcare professionals group and we recruit across all levels of healthcare. Um, so do you have any tips or suggestions for someone who's maybe thinking of taking a similar career path um, to you and how would they kind of navigate that?
0: Yeah. go for it, that's one tip. Love it, if number you, one. <laughs> if you really, because if you're thinking about it, um, it's probably because you have a passion. Um, make sure you do have a passion and go for it. Um, I, I never had a plan B which sounds okay. really weird, but I never had a plan B. I feel
1: like that's a good thing sometimes. Because then, if you if you didn't have the plan B, like, it's either this or nothing. It has so, to work. Yeah, yeah. it has so to work, yeah.
0: Failure was not uh, um, an, an option, option. yeah. yeah. Um, so that that's one tip. The other one is find your mob, find your group of people that, mm. you know, will actually help you through the process. Like find those people, um, if they're mentors, um, that will actually remind you of who you are, remind you of your talents and um, find people sideways as well. People at the same level of your career who will actually support you and help you. And don't, don't forget to bring those um, who are, I'm not going to say behind, but who are aspiring to, to be like you. So bring, bring them, them up, with you. up as well. Yeah. yeah. So um, people is my, my other tip. Find the right people to work with and um and then the third one is try and have fun i i didn't for a while i was so worried about um getting the fellowship and getting the grants that i really lost um the taste for research and that wasn't a very good period of my life so really um have fun remind yourself why you're doing this you're doing this for for patients you're doing this for science and and try and have fun so maybe those are my tips
1: that was amazing mm-hmm. again thank you very very much professor manuela this has been a great podcast i'm sure anyone that's listened will agree and they've been educated they've been inspired um but yeah again thank you very much for you're sitting down good. with me
0: you're very welcome thank you so much you for did a thing. great
1: job